The reading this morning is from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I feel um, a little tentative today, I've got to say. Uh, I don't know if you've ever sensed that vibe in your family where there's kind of this um, tension uh, and, and you know you just have to talk about it. Um, and you're nervous. You're nervous because sometimes having an open conversation uh, comes with some challenges. Uh, is the conversation going to go well? Will your intentions be interpreted positively and honourably? Um, you're all anxious now, aren't you? Uh, and I'm kind of feeling like somebody who's about to go where angels fear to tread. Um, but you also know that these things don't just evaporate. They don't disappear. That actually sometimes naming up uh, the challenge, whatever it might be, putting it on the table and dealing with it as uh, an entire family is what healthy families actually do. Well, um, that's kind of where we're going to go today. Something happened, kind of the next slide. What have we got? No, I will stop. Okay, I'll, we're without slides for a moment. Um, uh, we're not the first church to have ever experienced tensions. Um, in fact, today's reading actually comes from uh, the book of Romans. Let me tell you a little bit about 
what was going on in the Roman church. Um, the Emperor Claudius uh, expels all the Jews out of the city. We read about this in Acts chapter 18. And he does this, um, uh, we're not entirely sure why, it doesn't particularly matter, um, and it's actually about the third time the Jews have been expelled from the city. But uh, there was a church in Rome, and it was made up of formerly Jews who had become Christians and Gentiles, Roman citizens, who had um, become Christians as well. And like many of the New Testament letters, there's actually tensions between the Jewish Christians and the Roman Christians. And the Jewish Christians come with some baggage. Some of them want to keep some Jewish practices like circumcision or food laws or celebrating certain feast days, um, considering those as more important than other days. Uh, and the Gentile Christians tend not to want to practice those behaviours. And the Jews are an odd bunch in the first century. They're viewed with some suspicion, particularly in Rome. And so uh, part of what happens, next slide, is that um, the emperor uh, expels all of the Jews from the entire city of Rome. And they're gone for about five years. Now, just think about that and what that, that would mean for a church. An entire segment of your congregation gets expelled from the city for five odd years. Let's just imagine what might possibly have been going on. And, and remember there are some uh, factions and some kind of relational fault lines in this church. It's conceivable that the Gentile Christians, the Roman Christians, thought to themselves, well... In some ways, this is a little bit of an awkward relief because that tension that we used to have over whether or not we should have a service on this day or whether or not that meat had been sacrificed to an idol and could they eat that meat or could they not, you know, all of those tensions have kind of evaporated. And, and perhaps the Jews were a little bit of uh, baggage, you know, that their reputation wasn't the greatest amongst the other Roman Gentiles. And, and so they might have even thought to themselves, our mission be, could be kind of more effective. And, and so that particular faction leaves the church, which leaves the rest of the church to kind of become a little bit more set and firm in its ways. And everything's going on fine, except five years later, that other group comes back. And the emperor lets them, and what's church like now? And here they turn up with their rules and their regulations and those new tensions are back and the reputation of the churches, oh, you welcome Jews, and, and there's an awkwardness in the air. And now Paul writes the letter of Romans to hopefully um, lock in some sort of a unity in that church so that it can be a bold witness, not only in Rome, but for the mission to go from Rome further into Spain. I think that's kind of helpful to realise that there are tensions and tribes and fault lines that happen in church history. That actually the Spirit inspired the New Testament and gave us several books that almost normalise divisions and factions in churches. And 
the New Testament gives us some great advice about how it is that we are unified as the people of God, despite the fact that we might have some differences of opinions on certain topics. And we would have differences on lots of topics, but the one that we kind of have to consider just at the moment is COVID. What happens on the other side of COVID? There will be some people in our congregations who um, have been vaccinated and some who haven't. And how are we going to respond to those sorts of differences? I want to suggest to you that there are um, simplistically three positions that Christians have kind of held on this topic. And the first one would be this. We have a slide for this. Um, It's loving to get vaccinated. I love my neighbour by being vaccinated. I'll flesh these out in a second. The second opinion would be uh, the vaccinations have been rushed. They're a bit risky. Actually, we trust God for our safety. And then the third approach would be individual freedoms are a really important value, a Christian value, and we need to stand up for those. And so there's something bigger at play here than just whether or not I should get vaccinated. Let me deal with each of those briefly, just to kind of um, name up where we are at the moment. Firstly, it's loving to uh, get vaccinated. Um, How do you summarise the core Christian ethic? Well, Jesus does it, doesn't he? And we read that in Matthew 22, where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If you come to the 8 o'clock service regularly, we will read either the Ten Commandments or the summary of this most weeks. And it's really helpful. The second commandment is, Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You can summarise the Christian responsibility, our duty, our obligation as love God and love your neighbour. Well, let me give you a little bit of recent research about the consequences of being vaccinated. And this comes from Anne via the university. So thank you, Anne. Next slide. And we see this. Imagine some sort of a gathering um, and... Its particulars are that it's whatever, it doesn't really matter, but it's inside and people are talking and they're hanging around for so long and whatever else. In a scenario where two unvaccinated people would be at this gathering and 10 of them are likely to get, um, to catch COVID, here's what we uh, know now that we are getting high rates of vaccination. That is, if one person at this gathering is vaccinated, they are 10 times less likely to catch COVID or to be a carrier. Secondly, if a person who has been vaccinated is shedding coronavirus, they are 20 times less likely to infect a second person. And thirdly, If at this party, even though someone is infected and uh, um, uh, COVID is being shed, there are two individuals talking to each other and both of them are um, vaccinated, even if one of them is carrying and shedding, they are 200 times less likely to infect the other person. They're pretty strong stats, aren't they? So let me suggest to you that what that means is that in 
quite practical terms, actually it is loving your neighbour to be vaccinated because you're 10 times less likely to be carrying the vaccine, you're 20 times less likely to infect others, you are 200 times less likely, if you're both vaccinated, to be transmitting the disease in public, and if you have been vaccinated, you are 97% unlikely to end up in hospital. And if you're in hospital, you're taking up a bed, and that bed probably means that some elective surgery or something has been delayed and it can't be accessed by somebody else. So can you see, I think that's a pretty compelling and a pretty cogent argument, right? That it is loving to get vaccinated. What about the second position? Vaccines are rushed and they're risky. Now, this is not a theological argument. It's not a biblical argument. It's not an exegetical argument. So it's probably not really my area of expertise or something I should be speaking on from the pulpit. I will say a couple of things very briefly. Um, but you can choose to disagree with me, right? I'm not claiming any biblical authority here. Um, the technology of vaccines for coronavirus is not new. We didn't suddenly make it up in 2019 because that's when the virus started, or 2020, right? Uh, actually, it was adapted um, from work that was already underway. Um, clearly, the stats are showing that vaccinations do reduce hospitalizations. Whatever the risks of vaccinations might be, the risks of being unvaccinated are higher. And third, fourthly, thirdly, um, some people say, oh, well, hang on a sec, we don't know what the long-term impacts of um, being vaccinated are. If you introduce an antigen into a, a human body, which is what vaccines do, and then the human body develops an antibody and then a memory to that of that antibody, um, that process takes, our experience tells us, about six weeks, and that's it. Then your body kind of, th th that's the, the, the cycle of dealing with the antigen. It doesn't have for any of our previous vaccines, long-term consequences, all right? So, um, I don't find this argument myself particularly compelling. Next slide. Um, what about the, the more Christian argument that says, well, Jesus will protect me? Well, Jesus can protect you. Jesus is in charge. God is sovereign. I remember having a conversation with Marianne's grandmother, and she wasn't in favour of birth control. And uh, she found out somehow that Marianne and I, this was early in our marriage, were using birth control. We didn't want to have children just yet. And she said to us, um, I have just as many grandchildren, uh, sorry, as many children as God wants me to have. She was trying to claim the high moral ground. And my response was, we will have just as many children as what God wants us to have, whether or not we are using birth control. God is sovereign. God's in control. Whether or not we're intervening. And, and the Bible doesn't unfold in such a way that God's sovereignty means that human responsibility is unimportant. We are capable of thinking and making choices, um, and we need to try and take care of our own health and uh, responsibilities. Uh, so, for instance, did you wear a shirt, a seatbelt to church? I did. I think God's in control. God's going to keep me safe. But 
I still put on a seatbelt. Um, uh, Jail cut her finger a couple of weeks ago here in the kitchen. She was working in the cafe. And we went up the road to the medical centre and they said, do you want a tetanus booster? So it happens she'd had one very recently. Uh, I had one as well at the same time because, of course, we were having a granddaughter come into the family. You know what? I don't know what's in a tetanus booster. And yet I was happy for that to go into my body. Why? Because I kind of trust um, the Therapeutic Goods Administration or whoever it is that approves uh, whatever vaccinations we have. So, again, um, I, I don't find this personally a particularly compelling argument. What about the fact that Christians um, ought to stand up for freedoms? Well, this is a theological argument. Uh, and it has some biblical precedent, absolutely. Uh, Jesus has an incident where uh, he's asked a trick question, but he answers the question nonetheless and makes a very critical point. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Right? And the background is that a subset of the Jews will want him to answer yes, the Herodians, and a subset will want him to answer no, right? the zealots. Um, and so Jesus is kind of faced with a lose-lose question. Uh, but he gives an amazing answer, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And I want to suggest to you that more than any other reason, this scripture, this quote, is why we have secular democracies like the one that we now live in. This insight, this perspective, creates the milieu in which a secular democracy where Caesar does the business of Caesar and the church does the business of the church, right? Uh, theologians like Augustine would have argued this in the 4th century um, and uh, dozens of theologians after him and would be the reason that our culture is like it is today. And you can contrast it with, say, other cultures, other religions. They don't have a version of what we have. And so I want to say, yes, the notion that a Christian ought to have the right to give to God what is God's and yet be a part of a secular democracy is an important freedom that we ought to stand up for. Should we reject the vaccine or the government mandating the vaccine as a way of affirming that truth? I was listening to a podcast by uh, John Anderson, Christian politician, um, and he was talking to Jordan Peterson. Um, and they were arguing uh, there's a dangerous precedent that's been set. In Australia, we have had pretty low rates of infections and very high rates of restrictions when you compare us with the rest of the world. And Australians have been willing to submit to their governments and give them um, unprecedented levels of authority. And I want to say, I think that was a helpful insight from John Anderson. And then Jordan Peterson's response was, where does that end? What comes next after that? I've got to tell you, at that point, they lost me. I was not convinced from there. Uh, here's why not. Um, 
I want to call that argument type uh, a slippery slope, right? That's what it's called. Um, and, and the argument is, well, this leads to this. But it isn't necessarily the case. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine uh, I pay my children $5 of pocket money. And one day my son comes to me and he says, Dad, I can't live on $5. I need $6. Can I please have a raise? And I think to myself, oh, okay. I'm going to check with Marianne. Marianne, what do you reckon? Should we give our children a raise? And she says to me, what? If you give them a raise to $6, tomorrow they'll be asking for 7 and then for 8 and then before you know it, you'll be paying all of them $100 each. No, we won't. Just because we go from 5 to 6, we can stop at 6. We don't have to go to 7. And in fact, when my children got jobs, we stopped paying them pocket money and there was nothing inevitable about the slippery slope. In 1918, the Australian government introduced all sorts of rules because of the Spanish flu and restricted freedoms, including restricting freedoms of worship. Was the church persecuted in the 1920s or, you know, did we become a more centralist communist state after the Spanish flu? No, we didn't. So, yes, there's a certain risk, but no, I don't see an inevitability about Christian freedoms being lost and undermined if we happen to accept that the government is not mandating but um, uh, sanctioning us if we don't get freedoms. Sorry, can we jump two slides back? Um, one more back. Thank you. Paul says something very important about freedoms and rights in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, Paul says, I have rights. The Corinthian church is being the receptor of my ministry. I have a right to be paid to food and drink and even paid for a wife if I happen to have one of those. But here's what Christians do with their rights. We did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel. Christians give up their rights for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others, more so than fighting for them so that we can have what it is that we want. All right. So, in simple terms, I want to say this is my view. That, um, and, and I don't think it's just my view. I think it's the view of, for instance, um, what we've seen from our archbishop uh, and most Christians. Um, is it loving to uh, get the vaccine? Yes, I think that's a strong argument. Um, have the vaccines been rushed? Are they risky? Uh, the medical companies just in it for profit. AZ didn't make any profits off theirs, by the way. Um, I think that's a weaker argument. God's sovereign. He's going to protect us. I think that's a weaker argument. Individual argument, uh, freedoms, I think, is a strong argument, but it's weak when it's applied um, to this particular topic. All right. Now, if that's the issue our family is facing at the moment, then let's turn to Romans and how Paul responds to the tensions that are in his church and see what we can learn for us. And here, I've got to say, is I'm close to the angels and fearing to tread. Listen to what Paul says. 
We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, you people over here, you think you're strong and you imagine them to be weak, but actually that's just relative because these people over here view themselves to be strong and they view you as weak. It's all a matter of perspective. And both positions are equal. We would prefer that he said that, I think. That would look more enlightened, wouldn't it? But what we get is we who are strong. Paul is actually prepared to name up one position as the stronger position and the other position as having failings. I find that word fascinating. He doesn't say we who are right ought to put up with the sinful position. He doesn't go there either. He's actually in some sort of a middle ground. In the Bible, decisions can be right and wrong, but inside that, they can also be wise and unwise. Let me demonstrate, and I'll use non-biblical categories for a moment. It's wrong to drive an unregistered car. It's illegal. Um, and part of the reason it's illegal is because when you drive a car, you actually have to have insurance that means that if you injured another person, that person has an insurance policy and they can go to hospital and it'll be paid for, right? It's called the green slip, and you have to get a green slip when you register your car. It's illegal to not have a green slip. It's right to drive with a green slip. It's a right-wrong issue. You don't have to have insurance for your car, property. You have to have personal insurance against injuring somebody else, but you don't actually have to have car insurance. It's not a legal requirement. You're not breaking the law if you drive without insurance. I think it's unwise. I remember discovering once my son was driving around without car insurance and I was not excited about that. And I uh, exhorted him to get it as quickly as possible. But it wasn't illegal driving without it. And I want to suggest to you that the Bible has similar categories. That it's wrong to steal and it's right to pay your taxes, but it's wise to, well, there's lots of passages that talk about what's wise and what's unwise. Proverbs is full of them. James is full of them. But the case in point today in uh, Romans is it's a more wise position to eat meat and it's unwise to refuse to eat meat because that gets you all sorts of prejudices in society and that's part of what gets the Jews kicked out of town. So, where do we go with this? Well, I want to suggest to you that there are parallels and that it's wise to be vaccinated, that vaccinations are like a kind of a medical insurance against infecting other people and getting very, very sick or possibly dying yourself. And it's unwise to be vaccinated. All right. You may not happen to agree with me. I might have just touched a trigger point for you. 
But stick with me, because where Paul goes next is what's really critical. So he's prepared to say there is a stronger position and a weaker position. And he's saying stronger position is eating meat and the weaker position is not eating meat. I'm suggesting that it parallels stronger position is be vaccinated, weaker position is not being vaccinated. How do those two groups interact? Because this is where Paul spends most of his emphasis, most of his energy. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings and not please ourselves. So the focus is not, oh, well, you know, what, what works for me? Each of us should please our neighbours for their good and we should build them up, which is where Christ's focus is. So the passage goes on. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. So the emphasis is that in Christian community, even though we have differences of opinions on a given topic, and even though some of us might view ourselves as being in the stronger position, what we ought to be known as is the people who are giving up our rights, who are bearing with others, who are focusing on the needs of the others, who are here to please the others and not ourselves, who are building others up and who are trying to behave in such a way so that the others don't feel judged, but rather they feel accepted and included and embraced into community. Now, let's just kind of ground this and imagine the Roman Christians have the Jews coming back into town. It'd be very easy for them to say, man, this is a pain in the neck. Life, church was much simpler when you guys were exiled. But now that you're back, we've got to change everything and put up with you. Paul says, no, no, don't think like that. Love them, include them, serve them. That's how Christian community is known. Why? Why would we do that? Because that's what Jesus did for us. Christ didn't live to please himself, and you shouldn't live that way either. Christ bore our insults. And of course, that's code for to the point of taking them to the cross. That's the amount of sacrifice Jesus made for us, even though we were at that time his enemies. Christ accepts us when we are unacceptable. And Christ becomes our servant, and so we are compelled to serve others. And that is where you find life, is in serving others and not in pursuing your own interests. So that is why we would do that. And if I was to jump back into chapter 14, I would say a little bit more. Paul's still in this same uh, weaker brother, stronger brother topic. And there he's saying um, the stronger brothers ought not to be judgmental, nor the weaker brothers judgmental. Neither group should be judgmental of the other group. Instead, the focus ought to be living at peace and edifying one another. So let me try and pull this together. And I want to speak to three different groups of people. Firstly, to those of you who are vaccinated. I want to say, thank you. Thank you for getting vaccinated. As the senior minister of this church, and we have vulnerable people in our church, thank you that you have done something that loves your neighbour and means that you are less likely to transmit a disease, to carry a disease, um, that you are... 
um, healthy and safe and uh, that makes our community more safe. I also want to say to you, Christ didn't live to please himself and so you shouldn't use your freedoms primarily to serve your own ends. This is not about you getting together with other free people and going, woo, woo, we can now do our own thing over here because we're all free. Right? Um, Christ has accepted us and Christ lives to serve us and we have a responsibility to do that for the entire church, including those whom we view as holding a weaker position. To those who are unvaccinated by choice, I want to say a couple of things to you guys. Firstly, you will be viewed as having made an unwise choice. I think we can just name that up for what it is, right? Just like Paul can come out in Romans 15 and say, this position is stronger and the other position has failings, that will be the predominant position of Australian society and of the church and of most of the people you will interact with. And I think we've got to get past the point of thinking that having more debates and more head-banging is going to lead us to a place where actually we, we can convince the other person. Um, and for those of you who are in the weaker brother or sister position, I think you're going to have to accept that the main view is that you have made an unwise choice. I also want to say, we can love you without agreeing. We can care for you. We can even listen to you without agreeing with you. And I want us to be that church. I want us to be known for the way that we care and love people, even people who hold with strong convictions, and we have strong convictions, but we hold different positions. That, that's what the church ought to be. Why? Because Christ uh, didn't live to please himself. And I also want to say that just like I am asking the vaccinated people to be servant-hearted, I also need to ask the unvaccinated people to also be servant-hearted and to think about how it is that they can serve the body and others given the choices that they have made. And perhaps on the backside of this, you might want to consider whether being servant-hearted might mean that you actually do something that uh, you perhaps would prefer not to do. Uh, let me speak to us as an entire church family. Next slide, please. Uh, and I want to say this. What we want to be known of as a church, as a community, is that the people who... We are the people who bear with others who are different than us. We are the people who don't live to please ourselves, but we live to please our neighbours. We're the ones who are focused on building others up on being accepting and inclusive because we have been accepted when we were offensive to God. 
And, and so that ought to be the hallmark of who we are. What will be the consequence of that? Well, what Paul says is that when the church in Rome can do that, when the Jew and the Gentile can come together and their divisions were deeper and longer than ours, um, then God will be praised and the Gentiles will begin to glorify God. In other words, there'll be more conversions in Rome and in the future, more conversions in Spain. And isn't that a wonderful connection with where we are today? When we can be the people of God who love each other, whatever our strongly held differences of opinion are, but we are known for our love, that's going to mean we're more gospel-focused here in Dapto and in Chile and wherever else we happen to be in partnership. You know, families have challenges. And our church family is inevitably about to come into one. The sign of a great family is not avoiding challenges, but it's how you deal with them. And we have an opportunity to respond to this challenge in the way that Jesus responds to us and to mirror that. Let me pray for us. Lord, we've dealt with a complex issue and we thank you that we have uh, scriptures that, that reveal to us that challenges in churches are to be expected and yet there is within the gospel some clarity about how we respond to seasons like this. And so we want to thank you, Jesus, that you didn't live to please yourself, that you took our insults, the things that we deserved upon yourself, you took the weaker position um, and that you served others so that now we can be in a position where we too can serve. And we want to ask that whatever our strongly held convictions might be, whether they fall on one side of the ledger or the other, but that we might be known as the people who love and who accept and who build others up the way that Jesus did the church. Give us that spirit. God be glorified. May Gentiles be convicted as they see us being that type of people. We pray this for your glory, God. Amen.